To begin, uh, I want to say I've put a pause on the sanctuary series we've been in for a while, and I uh, kind of want to do a, a one-off here on forgiveness. Uh, it's July 4th, and um, I've had some conversations with folks lately about a, a variety of things. Uh, I think has uh, upended, uh, I mean, it, th- this last year and a half, uh, I think has uh, upended uh, a lot of our lives in a lot of different ways. And um, one theme that kind of cuts across all of this uh, is this, uh, well, is a tremendous amount of strife that has uh, entered into our world over the last year and a half. Uh, Some of it uh, because of politics, some of it because of COVID, some of it because uh, families haven't been able to gather together and do what we normally do, some of it because people haven't been able to, kids haven't been able to go to school and they've been stuck at home and there's been, uh, you know, a little bit of this uh, going on in the homes. And I thought um, it might be a good time uh, to just kind of pause, step back and talk about uh, this topic that is quite central to everything that Scripture stands for, uh, it's central to why uh, the gospel message, uh, and uh, I think it's a timely message, um, and something that, frankly, if I'm if I'm just being candid and putting some cards on the table, uh, I think our nation has lost the art of forgiveness uh, and um, and the practice of uh, forgiveness, and it's it's certainly something that I lament, um, and so hopefully as a church. Uh, we can begin to reclaim some of this. Uh, I will say, however, I could have tied it to the Sanctuary series, and I, and regretfully, well, I don't know. Maybe I should have, maybe I shouldn't have. It probably would have felt a little shoehorned, like I was trying to do something. That, but if you think about it, uh, so if you think about our sanctuary spaces that appear uh, in Scripture, not so much like an Eden, but uh, certainly the tabernacle, or the temple, right? What, what are those spaces doing? Well, uh, when you walk up to them, usually you're carrying with you uh, a lamb of some kind that is then going to be slaughtered and offered up as a forgiveness, right? Uh, uh, some kind of atonement is happening in that. Uh, or Jesus, the sanctuary, he becomes the temple, uh, is, uh, well, our atonement. Uh, he, he becomes the way through which, uh, through his offering and blood uh, offering, uh, we enter into the presence of God, right? And so I do think, actually, forgiveness does kind of find this, uh, this nice place in sanctuaries, generally speaking. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm going to veer in a bit of a different direction this morning. But before we get there, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we lift up uh, our church to you, uh, those who are uh, listening in uh, and those who aren't. Uh, And we, Lord, ask uh, that indeed this morning um, that we find your presence wherever we are. Uh, God, we also lift up our nation uh, on this anniversary of its independence. Uh, We find ourselves in tremendous turmoil. Uh, and uh, we continue to be divided along party lines, uh, among other things. And um, God, the future uh, looks hazy at best. And so, uh, God, as a nation, we lift that to you as well. And we ask, Lord, that your will be done, uh, but that our nation might find you again 
and that we might find our way back to you and that we might uh, indeed uh, reclaim this thing that is so central uh, to what it means to be a follower of Christ, and that is a heart that is filled with forgiveness. Uh, Lord, we uh, lift all this to you this morning, and we ask for your presence here in this place. We ask that you change our hearts and our minds, and that we might love you more clearly. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, so our two passages today, Psalm 51 uh, and then Matthew 6, are probably, I, I don't know for sure, but some of the most read uh, even memorized passages in all of the Bible, certainly read in a, uh, a sanctuary setting or, or in a service setting. Psalm 51 is a confession, and in many church traditions, part of a regular worship service is a time of confession, and Psalm 51 would probably top the list of psalms to be read, or scripture passages generally, to be read as a, as a confession. And in Psalm 51, we get, well, David, after the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah and Nathan the prophet, comes to him and, and says, you're the man, you did this thing. And then David has this moment of contrition, and he realizes what he's done, right? And Psalm 51 is capturing uh, this confession of David, and it's frankly a beautiful psalm. He never uses the word forgiveness or at least the translation that I, I uh, am using does not. But nevertheless, it's, it's over every page. It's over almost every word that's in here. And it begins this way, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Right? Have mercy, which is another way of asking for forgiveness. He's appealing to God's, uh, not justice now, but to God's mercy. According to your steadfast love, he's appealing to God's loving nature, right? Not, not the, the judge God, but the, the all-loving God now. And then he says, according to your abundant, here it is again, mercy, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All of these things, forgive me. I, I know that I've messed up. I know my transgressions. I know my sins. My sin is indeed ever before me, he says. And here we have an example of David seeking forgiveness from God for the sins that he's committed, and he recognizes his failures, and he's re seeking restitution. And, and frankly, it's a, a beautiful and wonderful thing that this exists and sits within our scriptures because it serves to us as a model of the sorts of things that we should be able to say about our own lives, about our own communities, and that confession is not something that well, other people need to do. King David himself needs this. And I imagine so do we. The New Testament passage, also used widely in worship services around the globe, right? We're probably more familiar with this one than the other, is my guess. It's the Lord's Prayer. I don't necessarily want to focus on some of the parts of the Lord's Prayer that are in there, such as, Thy kingdom come, or uh, the request for daily bread. Instead, 
I find it interesting that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and in there, well, there's a line about forgiveness that connects two things together. It connects our forgiveness and God's forgiveness. And the line is simply, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And from our very lips, Jesus is teaching us to connect those two things, the forgiveness that is from God and the forgiveness of other people. It seems that for Jesus, the forgiveness part of this prayer was indeed high on his priority list because of what immediately follows in verses 14 and 15. So Jesus gives us this lovely prayer. It ends with deliver us from evil. And then he begins to pontificate upon the prayer that he's just taught us how to pray. And the very first thing he says is, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Riley rightly pointed out, it starts to get a little uncomfortable at this point. Because it's, it's one thing to connect the fact that God forgives us and, and, and we should forgive other people. But here that connection is starting to get a little stronger. And he says, for, for if you forgive others, well, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And we're all starting to get a little nervous at this point. And Jesus doubles down. <laughs> he doesn't stop. He wants, it to make, he wants to make it clear to all of us exactly what he's saying. And so he gives us the negative side of it. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. I mean, goodness, this should keep some of us up at night, right? The stakes here are incredibly high. Jesus says that if we are unable to forgive others, well, then the Father will withhold forgiveness from us. So we're going to want to make sure we get this right. As we talk about forgiveness, uh, it's worth saying up front that there's two ends to the forgiveness stick, as I like to say. There's two ends to it, right? The one end of the forgiveness stick is, is the person that needs forgiveness, and then the other end of the stick is the person who offers the forgiveness, right? And sometimes, I think in my own mind even, so as I was like thinking through this, uh, the various scripture passages on this, I've almost equated the two or maybe just kind of gelled the two together, but it is worth keeping the two separate because uh, me needing forgiveness because of something I've done wrong is, uh, is certainly one part of the equation, and then me offering forgiveness because of something uh, that somebody else has done to me, well, it's a very different kind of act, right? Uh, these are, they at least feel different uh, for me. Here's an illustration. Um, there was a 
I don't tell stories much. This, this is not my story. I, I told Matt Priest just this week that I was like, I'm looking for stories. I don't know where to find them. He suggested Reader's Digest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah, and Paul Harvey. We'll see how this goes. Uh, so uh, it, ha- it just so happens my, my two oldest uh, are at their grandparents or were at their grandparents. They're now in Pigeon Forge, whatever. Uh, two children uh, who are at their grandparents' house. And uh, it, it happens to be a boy and a girl. This is not a real, like, I, it, this is not my kids, okay? Uh, but we'll just say the one is named Ezra and the other is named Lizzie. <laughs> and, uh, and Ezra is out shooting uh, his BB gun uh, at the grandparents' house. And he uh, turns out to be a terrible shot. And so he sees a duck uh, off, uh, you know, in the distance uh, and he just kind of casually aims and happens to hit and kill the duck. And then he uh, feels terrible about it, so he, he takes the duck and he takes it into the woods. And as he's hiding the evidence, he turns around and he sees Lizzie there, right? And Lizzie kind of gives him one of these things, uh, and she knows what he's done. Nobody else seems to. And so that night at dinner... Uh, grandma says, uh, hey, Lizzie, can you help me with the dishes, right? Can you help me with the dishes? Uh, and Lizzie says, you know what? Ezra just told me he really wants to help you with the dishes. And she does this to him, right? <laughs> and, and then he says, uh, yeah, Grandma, I really would like to help you with the dishes, right? Next day, uh, similar thing, Grandma is ready to, to make uh, lunch and says, hey, Lizzie, can you help me make lunch today? And she says, you know what? Uh, Ezra said that he loves making lunch. And, uh, and Ezra says, yeah, yeah, I really enjoy making lunch. And, and he makes the lunch. And this goes on for a few days. And finally, Ezra, like, he gives up. And he's like, I- I've had enough. I'm telling Grandma, uh, and, sh- and so he tells Grandma, and he says, hey, Grandma, I just, I need you to know, I killed your duck, <laughs> and the Grandma says, I know, I, I saw it all from the window, and, uh, and I forgave you, right, I forgave you, I just wondered how long you would let Lizzie make you a slave, <laughs> And I will say, so there's something on, on the one end of this forgiveness stick where I need forgiveness for something, where I don't reach out and ask for it, and I don't take that step, and I don't lean in. Maybe I lack the courage. Uh, may, maybe uh, there's too much pride in the way. I, I don't know what it is. But by not doing that, there is a sense of slavery that comes with this, Right? There's a slavery to, to shame and to guilt. Uh, there's a slavery to the lies and the charade that require keeping up the appearances of it all. Right? There is a slavery connected to this. And I, I think I've said this before, and if I have, I'm not really sorry, which is not an apology. <laughs> But in my house, we do apologies in a certain kind of way. We teach our kids uh, that there are four parts to an apology. Uh, I I recommend it to you if you have children. Uh, It seems to work well in our house. 
And the four parts are this, I am sorry because. So uh, when our littlest uh, does something, we, the first thing he has to say is, I, I'm sorry because, and, and they, he names what he's done wrong. And, and then he names why. It was wrong because, right? And then he says, in the future, I will do something different, right? And then after all of that, he says, will you forgive me, right? After all of that, will you forgive me? And so as he's holding that one end of the forgiveness stick, and he needs the forgiveness, there are a few steps he should really put in front of the asking for forgiveness part. And namely, it's, a, it's important he know exactly what he's done wrong and to name it. And so I would suggest to you, if, if indeed this is where you are, that if you're going to ask for forgiveness, it helps to know exactly what you need forgiveness for. It doesn't help to go to a friend and say, you know, I'm really sorry you were mad the other day, when what you really should have said is, I'm sorry I totaled your car the other day, and I know that made you really mad, right? These are two very different things. Also, this series of apologies, I, I think it helps uh, our kids, and, and maybe you or me, uh, to put us in the shoes of that other person, that other person that we've hurt. And I think that's an important part of apologizing and asking for forgiveness, is that we understand not just what we've done, but how it has affected that other person, how it's made them feel, how it has perhaps ruined their car, or whatever it might be, right? And the effects of that sin upon their life. All of this is with the purpose of restoring communion. Restoring communion. Bringing us back together. This is ultimately, by the way, what I think forgiveness is intended to do. I think this, uh, whether it's uh, when you seek God's forgiveness, what are we trying to do? We're trying to bring ourselves back into communion with God. Are we seeking another's forgiveness? Well, we're trying to bring ourselves back in communion with another, peop another person. This is, is really the goal of forgiveness. And, and frankly, it's the goal that's been going on since the Garden of Eden when the communion between humanity and divinity was broken open. And ever since, we've been trying to find ways to bring us back together, to make atonement uh, for the sins of our lives. The other end of the forgiveness stick, the one where we're supposed to offer forgiveness to other people. Scripture, indeed, has a lot to say about this one, too. Uh, Jeff Sechrist uh, gave us a really uh, good example, and I'm going to read it again, what he read earlier in the service, in case you didn't catch it. Paul in Colossians 3, 12 to 13, he says this, he says, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, Put on humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Forgive each other. But then he goes on, and this is the part that's fascinating to me. 
he connects exactly how Jesus connects these two things because he says, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And Paul here, again like Jesus in the Lord's uh, Prayer, connects together the forgiveness that God offers to us and the forgiveness we are supposed to offer other people. Let's pause a second and talk about standards. Specifically, what standards do you hold yourself to? And I want to give you a window into my soul through an illustration this time that is real. It has to do with the traffic light that is around the corner from my house. And it goes like this. I live in the neighborhood that is across from South Run Rec Center. Do you know where I'm at? So I come up to that, uh, that stoplight every single day, and I wait to turn left onto the parkway every single day. And every single day, there's somebody waiting in South Run Rec Center across from me. Here's where it gets tricky. The lane that is across from me is either, you can do one of two things, you can go straight, or they can turn left, which is my right now, okay? They can go straight, or they can turn left. The problem is, if you go straight, that is, you know, straight by me, you don't have to put a signal on. But if you turn left, right, you should use your left blinker signal. I, inevitably, sit there and I watch the person in front of me and they're not paying attention, they're probably like, you know, on their phone or whatever, and then, and there's no blinker, inevitably, and, but I can't go, I can't turn left, lest they actually are going straight, which is a rarity, so instead I wait and then either at the very last second they turn their left blinker on and go, uh, or they just don't turn their blinker on at all and they go left, and then I get frustrated, and I turn left, right? Sometimes, actually, it almost causes an accident if the person behind them is going straight. And this is another thing. But here's where the standards come in. You see, uh, that happened to me day in and day out for about a year straight until I began to realize I, too, would often get to that light and fail to remember to put my left blinker on. And so I'd be like rooting around in my car or, you know, just kind of cleaning up something or, or, you know, I just left the house. And, and then at the last second, I turn that left blinker on and I, go, and I go. And it turns out, uh, if you're a little bit like me, that I'm willing to give myself just a little more grace than I am that person who is across the way from me. And so this light that I go to every single day, and I do mean this, this is not facetious, it reminds me to offer just a little more grace, a little more forgiveness to people in their lives in the same way that I would wish for them to offer me grace and forgiveness. While at the same time it teaches me to put that left blinker on uh, as much as, as possible. 
As it turns out, with others, generally speaking, I am inclined to quickly bring down the hammer, to demand justice, to be a little judgmental. And my guess is you are too, at least to varying degrees. We all are. The need for justice is a, a general human need. It's also a, a biblical thing, but at its unhealthiest, it is judgmentalism. And when I am quick to judge others more so than I am to forgive them, well, I'm closer to being that Pharisee than I am to Jesus. And then, ironically, with my own self, I seem to choose mercy very easily, right? I, I go easy on myself, and I just kind of go with the flow, and, and I recognize what Alexander Pope taught us, which is to err is human, right? To, to err is human. We all make mistakes, that sort of thing. And so the interplay with how I treat others and how I treat myself, well, that might be bad enough, and it shows this disparity right, in the standards I hold others to versus the standards I might hold myself to. That's bad enough, but then let's add in one more layer, namely the divine perspective. And so David, in Psalm 51, he reminds us that ultimately our sins are sins against God. In verse 4 of that passage, he says, "...against you, God..." and you alone have I sinned. Against you and you alone have I sinned. This is certainly hyperbole. It has to be. I mean, he's clearly sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and Joab and, frankly, all of Israel, and his children are going to pay for this mistake. He sinned against all of these people, and usually the Old Testament does not think in terms of, like, individualistic sin anyway, as if my sin is just mine and, and your sin is just yours. There's usually a, a mishmash of, well, my sins you, affect you in some way. But here, David seems to be making a different point. And I, I think the point connects to what follows, which is, and, it, and I have done what is evil in your sight. And so it turns out that all sin is done in the sight of God. And we all know this. All sin affects the communion that God desires with us. All sin separates us from God, from the smallest to the largest. And so what this means is that indeed God sees it all. God sees the good, yes, and the bad. And God sees the secrets, and God sees the heart motives, and the littlest peccadilloes that happen when no one is looking. God sees those too. And I just have to ask, what if someone else in your life, a friend of yours, a spouse, one of your children, what if they saw everything that God sees in your life? All that is gross in your life. I mean, seriously. Let, let that soak in for one second. If, if somebody saw 
it all, what would they think? What would it do to the image that you have carefully crafted of yourself? Would it all come crumbling to the ground? I've got good news and bad news. The good news is this. Yes, God sees it all, and yes, God forgives it all. God saw it all before he ever even sent his son, and yet he still sent his son. God's love is more beautiful and expansive than your ugliest sin, and his forgiveness knows no ends. And that is good news. He covers it all. The bad news, and maybe it's not bad news, frankly, it's it's hard news, is that God is pushing you and me in the direction of that kind of forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that God is willing to offer, the kind of love that God is willing to offer to all of us, humanity, that's the direction he's pushing all of us in. He wants us all forgiving in that kind of way. He wants us to be like him, to love like him, and to forgive like him. I want us to stop thinking of forgiveness as something that we just do here and there. And I want us to start thinking of forgiveness as a skill to develop, a habit to adopt, a muscle to train, or frankly, best yet, a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline because when we speak of the disciplines, like prayer, or scripture reading, or worship, or fasting, we recognize that they are a means of grace. That is, it is God working in us to perfect us and to bring us toward that new creation in Christ that we are all meant to be. It is the place where human effort and divine grace walk hand in hand. And so let us train this muscle called forgiveness. Let us practice it daily. Let us start with small things, because we probably can't handle the bigger ones just yet, though maybe you're on your way to that. Like a weight trainer, I wouldn't start with the heaviest ones. I would start with those lighter weights and work up toward the heavy. And the last thing I would say is this. We should recognize where we see grace and forgiveness in other people and to learn to love that, to learn to treasure that to learn to applaud that, to value that. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are our Father because your Son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross was raised from the dead, and calls us brother. We are adopted 
into the family of God. And we are adopted into that family because you loved us enough to send that son. And you loved us enough to offer a way for forgiveness to happen, for reconciliation to happen, to bring us back together with you. God, this is what you desire of us too, to be the kind of people who go out into the world offering a radical kind of forgiveness. And God, it's not easy. It's not. There are wounds that are hard. But Lord, you give us your grace. And you teach us your way. Lord, over the course of a lifetime, I pray that we train those spiritual muscles that we might be the kind of people who forgive like you forgive. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is indeed our Lord and our Savior and the person to whom we look to, that we might be like him. Pray this in his name. Amen.